I've had a rough week, and I think what I've went through this week, I would, I fear more than anything that the enemy can throw at me, what I've went through this week. And I'm hoping that this will make sense to some of you guys so y'all can kind of, I know the Lord's highlighting this, and I want to, so I think it's going to help some people, and I, I, I'm preaching this morning to myself as much as I am to y'all, okay, and I really mean that. Um, this is... Uh, I'm going to go through some scriptures. I'm going to share some scriptures. We're going to read some scriptures. I'm going to throw some points out. And then I want to tell you about my week a little bit and then tell you about a dream I had last night. And then I think it'll tie everything together, even to what I was experiencing as I was sitting down over there. Um, so, all right. So if you have your Bibles, open up. I'm going to be going through a number of scriptures, but let's start off in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 8. And it says, now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourself know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they were saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light. And sons of the day, we are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. So Paul's addressing these the believers here, and he's saying that they are not of darkness they are of the day but that those who sleep do so in night and sometimes there is a sleepiness that can come over us as believers and that sleepiness is to be um i think for me personally is to be feared above all else and there's so much in the scripture that addresses being alert and awake how many of the lord's own parables addressed being alert. How much did the Lord talk about the need that we are awake, we're alert, we're looking, we're at, you know, we're watching the door? It is imperative. And so here we have the, the, the Apostle Paul reminding the believers that we need to be alert and sober and not be asleep. Okay, turn over to Revelations 2. We definitely do need to live beyond the veil, because the veil was torn, and we need to live in his presence, no doubt about it. Interesting to me, in, in Revelations 2, if y'all are familiar, you know, this passage of scripture is addressing the fact that the churches, there's seven churches that the Lord gave messages to, okay? There was an encouragement in the message to the churches, and then there was a correction, and then there was an encouragement, and the Lord goes through these seven churches, and he addresses different things that each individual church is dealing with. And, you know, a lot of people believe that these churches represent a timeline of, you know, of the Lord's, of the history of the church. And I, I kind of tend to believe that too. But I think it's interesting that out of the seven churches, three of them struggled with kind of the same thing. And I think it's common for believers to uh, get caught up in this, but um, but 
if you look, I'm going to read the three of the messages, the ones that are, that are struggling with kind of the same thing. We start off in Revelations 2. This is the church of Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. I could rabbit trail on that verse right there, but I'm not going to. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. So these people in this particular church, this group of believers have been very faithful to do the things that the Lord requires as far as, you know, toiling, perseverance, not tolerating evil men, um, holding people who claim to be something that they're not. You know, there's a lot of people that claim to be certain things and they really don't have the fruit to prove that they're that. And I think it's, uh, it behooves the church to, you know, we got to examine people's life and the fruit that they're operating in. And if somebody's not operating in something, then we don't need to be saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm weary of anybody that has to be called by a title, by the way. And I, did, I, am, I am squirreling a little bit. But anybody that has to be called apostle or prophet or evangelist, I believe in all those ministries. Y'all know that. If you come here, you know that. We believe in those ministries. We know there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But that's a job function. It's not a, it, it, it's not a title. It's a job function. We are sons of God. And if we're a son of the king, there is no greater position than that. So let's just be brothers now, one brother may have a function to do this in the body, and another brother or sister may have this function in the body, but stop calling yourself by a title. I don't, I personally, I don't like that. I've, if, there are people that are that, and, and I have no problem, you know, acknowledging that. But when we have to be acknowledged, there's something wrong in our heart. If you're that, you won't need people, you won't have to have people call you that. They'll it will be known. If you really are a prophet of God, they're going to know it. The, the fruit will be evident. Same thing for any, all the rest of them. So anyway, uh, so these people are doing things that are necessary to walk upright with the Lord, and they have had perseverance. They've went through difficult things, and they've persevered, and they've endured for the Lord's sake. You know, this group of, this group of believers were enduring persecution in Ephesus for being Christians, and they endured it well. They didn't, they didn't leave righteousness and the stand for the Lord in the midst of um, the difficulties that we're going through. But do you know that you can do all that? You can stand for righteousness. You can uh, go through the motions and do it well. You can be doing all the things that are necessary in the Christian walk and then come and still find yourself in verse 4. And it says, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. That's scary, that we can live the Christian life and even live it well, but have lost the passion and the fire for what it was to know Jesus, to be with him, to love him. And that's a scary place. And I tell you, I'll be honest with you, and I'll just kind of give you a hint to where I'm going with this. When I lose passion, I get scared. There's nothing else that'll take us out quicker than not being passionate for the Lord. 
Since 1995, I have been praying consistently that the Lord would fill me with hunger for him and desire for him. That one prayer that I prayed, actually I prayed it first in 19, November 1994, driving down the road late at night, coming back from seeing Lindsay when we were dating him. And I was just got honest with God, and I said, God, I have no desire to serve you. He just got real with him one night. I could feel it. I said, Lord, I have no desire to serve you, but I know that I should. But I can't do this anymore, this trying to live for you. can't do it. I'm, I'm at the end of my ability. I'm at the end of my strength. I have been back and forth so many times that I'm just over it, Lord. I said, Lord, would you please give me love for you and hunger for you and desire to serve you? If you don't do it, I can't do it. I didn't know it, but I was humbling myself that night. And I was asking God to give me something that I could not produce in my own strength. And that was love for him, hunger for him, desire for him. A lot of times we run around trying to produce this because we know we're supposed to be this way in our own strength, and it doesn't produce anything good. It actually drives us further away from God because we're striving in our own strength to produce something, and we're failing miserably, and so it makes you want to give up and not try anymore. You know, religion will kill you fast. And a religion is our attempt to get to God without God. (laughs) You can't live for God without God. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not, you need the Holy Spirit to help you or you're not going to have what you need to live for him. And that night, that realization came on me very heavy um, and I began to cry to the Lord and say, Lord, give me love for you and hunger for you and desire to serve you. Cause if you don't, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. And you know what? He answered that prayer. I got lit on fire that following January. I had encounters with the Lord that changed me forever. And I have lived my life for the most part. I feel like blazing for the Lord, hungry for God. I don't say that in my own strength because I already saw where my strength would take me. I'm saying that as the grace from the Lord. And I love that grace, and I want that grace over my life. And we need that grace because when we lose our first love, you know, I don't want the Lord to say, you know, you did a lot of good stuff for me, but you really weren't in love, passionate in love with me when I come before him. I want to be hungry for him. I want to love him. That's Ephesus. And he said, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he tells them, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Then he gives them a promise, to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of the life which is in the paradise of God. All right, let's go to Sardis. You can find Sardis in the beginning of chapter 3. One chapter over. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief 
and you will know, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. How many times has that concept been delivered throughout the Gospels? Jesus talked about that a ton, about being awake, being alert. And the reason why he talked about it was so much was because it is so easy to not be awake, not be alert, right? And so here we have it. He's saying, if you don't wake up, Y'all awake? <laughs> Wake up. He'll come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angel. He has near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in some ways, there's some similarity. There, to be asleep in the context that Jesus is referencing here is to be living a life where you're not, um, you may be going through the motions, but you're not on fire. You're, 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 and I, and I, you know, I've, I've had some of those falling, you know, you're driving down the road late at night and all of a sudden you start to nod off, you know, I've experienced that in my spiritual walk. So, you know, it's, it's a natural tendency and, but it's also something that we must guard against. We must be awake. The Lord showed us how important it is. Now roll over to, uh, verse 14. This is the. Church to the, uh, to the, this is the message to the church of Laodicea, and I, it is believed by many, and I, th- I think I'm one of them, that this church represents the last day church. I believe that. But regardless, this will apply to us because we experience some of what the Lord deals with this church about. Um, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right, The amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind or naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. I like that. Be zealous. Zeal and repent. Zeal is a good thing. Zeal is, uh, when you're zealous, you're passionate about something. The Lord's telling these people, you're not passionate. You're lukewarm. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of, eh, yeah. I mean, you, you, you nod your head, you agree with things, but there's no passion burning. And he's saying, be zealous and repent. Where's the passion? Is there a passion burning in our hearts for him? Not just for you know, religion, not for motion, meaning you come to church, you, 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 you raise your hands, you sing, you pray, you go home, but there's no passion in your daily walk to know him, to be close to him, to abide with him on a moment-by-moment basis. 
living life passionately for the Lord. That's what I want. That's, that's what I want. But I'm not always there. But I want to be. Right? And so he's saying, be zealous and repent. The Lord's asking him to do that. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I love this. I can't tell you. I've probably had like four or five times had somebody had in the middle of the night someone banging on my door that wakes me up out of my sleep to there be no one there. And I know it was the Lord saying, I'm at the door. Let's see what this says. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. I can think of times in my life where, you know, like those moments, you know, where the Lord, um, you, you, I mean, I don't know if y'all have ever experienced that, but that that's the Lord, you know, when you have somebody banging on your door and there's nobody there, that's obviously something spiritual. And I've recognized that's the Lord calling me to get up and be with him. He's at my door knocking. And so I would get up in the middle of the night and just hang out with the Lord. And there were times in my life when a little nudge from the Lord would get me right out of my sleep to go be with him. I'll give you a little another hint. I didn't have the, that, that same passion this week. I had a lot of little nudges this week to go hang with the Lord, and it was like, God. And that breaks my heart. I don't want to be that way. I don't, can you imagine what it would be like if you're married and you're, you, know, you want to go hang with your wife or your husband, and they're like, ah. Or if you, know, if you got kids and you want to hang with your kids, and they're like, ah. Now, I've, actually, I've actually experienced that. <laughs> uh, it's not a great feeling, you know. Uh, or the vice versa, you know. Your kids want to hang with you, and you're like, ah. You know, it shows that you really don't value the relationship. There's other things that are more important. And there should be nothing more important than the Lord. There should be something burning inside of us for him. And when it's not, that means our vision has waned. If you see him, you will be passionate for him. The problem is, is that when we're not seeing him with the eyes of our heart, our vision has, has kind of went dim a little bit, you don't have that passion. Passion is a direct result of seeing him as he is. And I'm not talking about physically, though that's awesome too. I seek that. I want that. Um, but it's the eyes of our heart opening up where he's real to us. You know, where um, there's been numerous ways that the Lord has nudged me. Sometimes I will all of a sudden, I'll be in my room and the smell of smoke will get so intense. It's just like I could smell it. And I know the Lord's saying, come and pray with me, intercede. There's reasons for that all through the scriptures, how smoke represented intercession. And there's been times, you know, that I joyfully and happily got out of my bed and went and did that. And there's other times that it's just like I got out of my bed and did it, but I wasn't real happy about it. And then there's other times I didn't get out of my bed. <laughs> I like the first response the best. Um. There's been times I get woke up in the middle of the night, and it, it'll be like, for me, you know, when you're having an intimate relationship with somebody, you start having a, a, a language developed, 
And with God, there's a spirit language that you will develop with him that is personal. It's between you and him. Well, for me, you know, I've been walking with the Lord a long time, and a lot of times certain numbers the Lord will use to speak to me. And I get, when the Lord wants me to pray, the, the number 21 pops up a lot. I had that number pop up a ton this week. And it's always when I didn't want to see it. There are times that I get woken up in the middle of the night, right at something 21, and I know it's the Lord inviting me. You know, when you're sleeping good, and all of a sudden your eyes pop open, and you're staring at an alarm clock, and it's something 21, and it's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. That's not an accident, you know? And so, you know, you get up or you don't get up. And so I've... uh, The Lord wants us to be passionate to be in his presence. He wants us to long for him. It's like the Song of Solomon's, you know, when the the Lord came, the, the bridegroom came, and he knocks at the door, and he puts his hand through the doorway, and, um, you know, but the, the, the bride is sitting there, if you know this passage in the Song of Solomon, where she had already cleaned her feet, you know, and, she's, you know, back then floors weren't very clean. Some of them were just dirt floors for some people. You know, for, if you didn't have much money, you had a dirt floor. And so she was in her bed, comfortable, feet cleaned, and to get up out of that place of comfort to go open the door for the bridegroom to come in, you know, that she didn't want to do it. And it's not that she didn't have a fond feeling, but her, her desire for comfort outweighed her desire to be with her bridegroom at that moment in the Song of Solomon. And it's the same picture that we see here, the Lord knocking on the door of his own church. And is that passionate desire for him outweighing us not wanting to get our feet dirty or have to get up out of a warm bed? Basically, it's a picture that the Lord will often come to us when we're the most comfortable and we and to test us to see if our comfort is more valuable to us than being with him. And I've passed that test and I've failed that test both many times. But I don't want to fail it anymore. All right? Um, Turn over to Luke 12. We'll read a couple passages out of Luke. We'll try to go through this a little quicker. Um, Luke 12, verse 35. In verse 35, it says, be dressed in readiness. Be dressed in readiness. How do you put on readiness? Because that's what the Lord's saying right here. Put it on. Be clothed in readiness. And keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns. Isn't that what we've been talking about? Being ready. When he comes, we're ready. When he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him. Isn't that amazing? Immediately. You know, in the Song of Solomons, if you read that passage, when he stuck his hand through the lattice, it stirred her. And she got up and came and opened the door, but she had delayed. And in the delay, he left. And she missed her opportunity. 
And then she went on a search throughout the city looking for him. I feel like that's, that's been my life a lot. You know, I, I miss my opportunities with the Lord, and then I'm spending a lot of time searching for that opportunity again, you know? And you know, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just like, man, I miss that. And so then you're searching. You want that opportunity back. And, and a lot of times we get those opportunities back, um, and sometimes we don't. But in, I, I don't want to have to miss it. You know, she delayed. She wasn't ready immediately. She delayed. She had to fight through that, uh, that fleshly carnal desire of comfort, and she didn't open up right away. And she missed her opportunity to be with her bridegroom, her love. And here it is. It says, be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Man, I want to be like that. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and then have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even the third and finds them so blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us? You know, us, you know, us, us the disciples that walk with you everywhere you go, the people that are close to you? Are you addressing this parable to us, Lord? or to everyone else as well. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will be put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Talking about being faithful and what the Lord's given us to do. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk. To eat and drink and get drunk. Drunkenness is a, can be a spiritual condition just like it can be a physical condition. We can become drunk. What happens when you're drunk? You lose control of your mind. You're certainly not alert, right? You ever seen an alert drunk dude? No, they're stumbling around. They don't know where they're coming or they're going. You know, they're, they're in a condition that keeps them from being able to function the way they were called to function. And they certainly, there's no good relationship going on with a drunk. At least the experiences I've had with drunks, they're not fun to be around. Um, now, sometimes they are. <laughs> <laughs> because they'll make you laugh, but uh, it, it's, it's to their shame. And, you know, when they start acting a fool, and uh, the drunkenness is not a good place. But there is a spiritual drunkenness where we're not alert, where we've, you know, you, when you start drinking, you get sleepy, and, you know, it's just not a good place to be. And, the, and so the Lord's telling them this parable for a reason. And the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Man, I don't want that. Isn't that, that listen to that verse. This, is, I, I, this isn't my point today, but this is amazing. 
The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That's pretty heavy. Is that heavy? But that's what the Lord said. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in according with his will will receive many lashes, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. Now turn over to me, because we were talking about drunkenness and being ready. That's what the whole concept of that is. Turn over to Luke 21, to start at verse 34. Be on guard, so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. Same type of concept Jesus has given us. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert. That, that, that word is, means to stay awake. It means keep watch. If you look it up in the, in the Greek, it's the Greek word in the Strong's Concordance. It's the Greek 69. But keep on the alert. Stay awake. To be, to be watchful to keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength. Another, that, another, that Greek word right there for strength, it's that you might be counted worthy, which is kind of interesting to me. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength or praying that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that are about to take place and stand before the Son of Man. When the Lord is referencing drunkenness and the need to be alert and dissipation, you know, and, and not allowing the worries of life to weigh on us to such a point that it causes us to get into a state where we're not alert or on fire, he tells them that they need to, in doing all that, he tells them they need to pray. He directly relates prayer with alertness. You cannot stay alert spiritually without having a prayer life. You can't. If your prayer life is lacking, you're not awake properly. And if, you know, and I'm not, listen, I told you at the beginning, I am preaching at myself, okay? I'm not preaching, but I want to be what I'm talking about. And, you know, if we're not excited about going and spending time with the Lord in prayer, something spiritually unhealthy in us. It means the flesh is really ruling our lives. Okay? And God wants to break that off to where we live hungry, passionate lives with him, that we're encountering him, experiencing him, and causing love to bubble up in us. When he comes knock on the door, we jump out of bed and we run. He wants us to be there, and he wants to help us to get there. He also knows our tendency, all right? So we got to be alert. Now, do y'all know the parable of the sower, right? I'm about to get to my dream and where I'm going to tie all this together with my week uh, and what I believe is a message from the Lord based on the dream that I had last night. I pay special attention when I have dreams on the days that I'm preaching because a lot of times the Lord's giving me what I'm supposed to talk about. Um, but in Mark 4, uh, we're gonna, y'all know the parable of the sower? 
You know, the sower went out to sow the seed, and the seed fell among different places, you know. Some fell among uh, the roads when the birds of the air came and picked them up. Some fell uh, on rocky places, and there was no root for them, so they, they withered away. And then some fell amongst the thorns, right? And then some fell in good soil. Well, the thorns, let's look at the thorns, verse 19. But the worries of the world... Okay, we were just talking about the worries of life in Luke 21 and how that was causing a drunkenness, a dissipation where people weren't alert, they weren't praying because the worries, worries can actually steal your prayer life if you're not careful. So the, so the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, you know, when you, when you, if you're pursuing money as your top desire and goal, you're in a bad place. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you, right? That's what the scripture says, Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, talking about our needs. And then it says, and the desires for other things enter in. So, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the, wor- the word, and it becomes unfruitful. You know, there are a lot of good things in this life that in of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. But when they become our desire, they can begin to choke the word and make it unfruitful. And it could be anything. I mean, it could be TV. It could be video games. It could be sports. It could be, I mean, you name it. Nothing's wrong with any of those things in of themselves. But if it causes our love our passion to, to wane, then, they, then we have to be careful and make sure that we're setting them back in their proper priority, okay? But the interesting thing, and this is what I want us to, to, to highlight here, they choked the word. How did they kill it? They choked it, okay? They choked the word. Now, here's what I want to talk about. This week, I have had... You know, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying this by my goodness or anything, because I've already told you I had to pray for this and get the Lord to give me this, but I live life hungry for God. That's my default position. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm hungry for the Lord because I ask him for it. Lord, give me hunger for you. Give me desire for you. Anytime in my life when I began to, to, not, to start feeling that and not be passionate in me, I start getting scared and I start crying out, Lord, give me hunger. God, stir up hunger in my heart. Well, this week... I was going through the motions. I do what I always do. I get up in the morning. I grab my Bible. I go get along with the Lord for a few hours. I, pr- I read. I pray. I spend time with the Lord. But it was like there was no passion in it. You know what I mean? I'm doing it, and I'm glad I did it. Sometimes you'll have those days. It was the right thing to do, but I wasn't passionate. And then I'd go about my day, and then later on, the Lord would start drawing me. He would start, I would start feeling the Lord. Uh, this happens to me. Sometimes I'll be, you know, I'm just being honest with you guys, trying to be just an open book. Um, sometimes, like, let's say I'll be on the couch watching TV with my kids, and then all of a sudden, I told you all about this, I, smell, I start smelling smoke. And I, it's, it comes in such a way that it's, to me, I can physically smell it, but it's not there. My kids can't smell it. It's the Lord drawing me, and I'm like... <laughs> This was my week. No. 
I just ain't got it in me. I just want to hang with my kids. I just want to veg out, watch TV. And then I turn around, I get up to go to the kitchen to grab a drink, and it's something 21. <sighs> and then I look down at my phone, and my, pa- and my battery is on 21%. <laughs> and I'm like, man, Lord. And, you know, and I'll go back there out of, you know, like, I sit down and I'm just sitting there and it's just nothing. It's dry. No passion, just dry. And I'm like, okay, Lord, here I am. You know, and I last maybe 15 minutes and I get up to get something. Oh, I need a drink. (laughs) Go get a drink of water or something, never make it back. (laughs) You know, you get distracted. I have had absolutely zero desire for that place of prayer this week. It's been tough, like like scary tough, like it was so not the norm, and it's so overwhelming that I don't even know what to do, and it scared me, because I understand without hunger, we're lost. Without hunger for God, we are lost. I think that is our greatest gift from the Lord, is hunger for him. When we begin to lose our hunger for the Lord, we've, we're in trouble, we're in trouble because we will grow into a very lukewarm place at best where we just barely go through the motions and we become like the Laodicean church and we become like Ephesus where we lost our first love and Sardis where we're sleeping, you know, when we should be awake and it scared me and I've been, but I didn't know how to change it other than just to say, Lord, help, which I think is the answer. Lord help. I don't, I don't, but it was so weird. It was so not me. That's the thing. It was like a a wave of lack of desire and desires to do anything else other than pray or be with the Lord. And it was so weird. It was so out of the, the, the norm. And it wasn't till I had the dream that I had that I began to understand what was really going on. And so here's, here's the dream. Here's how I think it applies, and, and then, we're, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. You can turn your Bible over to Acts 16, though, because this, this has the answer to the dream, um, as well as Mark, you know, what we just read in Mark 4. Acts 16, uh, but here was the dream. I dreamed I was someplace outside, and there was this box, and it had a some type of constrictor snake, a python probably, that had somehow or another, it had gotten out of its box. The box was shut with a, with a, a lock on it, but somehow it, the, the, the box opened up and this python snake came out. And it, I don't know if the snake was yellow or albino, but it was kind of that whitish yellow color. It was more yellowish probably, so it probably wasn't albino, but it may have been. I don't know. But it was this, this snake, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, that's a snake. <laughs> uh, and I don't know what to do with this thing, and I'm looking at it. Normally, if I see a snake and I've done this in dreams where I go and cut their heads off, which is, I think, you know, what they represent, you know, that's the appropriate response. Um, now, in real life, I don't kill non-venomous snakes. I, I let them go. But um, 
but what they represent, Jesus referenced the enemy as a snake. Obviously, a snake showed up in the Garden of Eden, which was Satan. This particular snake was a constrictor snake, and I'm watching it, and as I'm watching this snake, which was a decent-sized snake, it was the type of snake that could be maybe a pet. You know, they, they have the size of it was like more like a pet constrictor snake, but it started growing because each scene that I saw the snake, the snake was getting bigger, and it got to be to where its head was like this big. And it, but it was like a dog. It was like a pet. And I didn't want to, I didn't know, I was, at first I was nervous about it and didn't, didn't know what to do with it, uh, whether or not to trust it, but yet there was something about this snake that was very pet-like, friendly, dog-like, which made me not want to hurt it. And as I'm watching this snake, I'm looking at it, it's growing, it's getting bigger, and, but it, I mean, it, it, you know, in the dream, I don't know all the details of this, maybe y'all will get something, but not for now, y'all can tell me later if you get something, but it was, there, it, it had eaten a stick that we threw, and it ate it, ate a log, um, it ate different things, which I knew wasn't, probably wasn't good for the snake, but the snake went off, and it, it, it crossed this water, and went over to these people's dock that they had on on this waterfront where we were at and at first they're like there were some kids there and they were like oh but it was almost at this point i had grown so familiar with this snake that i was like oh it won't hurt you and you know it didn't do anything that specifically was hurting anyone and then the, the snake came back and uh as I'm looking at the snake, all of a sudden it wasn't as long as it used to be, but it had started growing legs, and then it started growing wings, and I realized this was just becoming a dragon. And the dream kind of ended. And so constrictor snakes, the Lord's given me those as pictures before, and I've relate them directly to what happens in in verse 19 of Mark 4. What was it? The... When, when the cares of this world and the desire for other things and the, the worries or their desire for riches, what it do? It choked the word and made it unfruitful. What do constrictor snakes kill you? How do they kill you? They squeeze the life out of you. They choke you. And so there's an aspect to which these constrictor snakes represent the cares of the world, desire for other things. They cool our love, and it's a slow squeeze that begins to squeeze the life out of you. And there's different ways that constrictor snakes, uh, in the you know spiritually speaking, metaphorically, there's different ways that that can play and how the enemy will begin to constrict us. But certainly one way is that it begins to cause our, the word to get choked in our life by those three things, desire for other things, love of riches, and, and the other one, um, uh, worries of this life. Now, in Acts 16, this is really interesting to me. Paul is uh, in this town, and it says in verse 16, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, everybody say place of prayer, See, that's what the Lord was trying to draw me to this week, the place of prayer. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. 
who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Okay, let me... So they're, they're, uh, they're going someplace. They're going to the place of prayer, which is where I was trying to go. I want to look this up in a different thing real quick. But, um, and as they were on their way, a, a slave girl met them, and she had a spirit of divination. Now, that word in the Greek, you all know what that means in the Greek? It's the Greek word 4436. It's... Uh, it's where we get the word python from. So she had a spirit of a python. Isn't that interesting? She was, they were trying to go to the place of prayer, but this girl who had a spirit of this python was following them for days, wearing them out. And, you know, every time the Lord was trying to draw me into prayer, there's, this lack of desire was overwhelming that was hitting me. And it was such a way that it wasn't natural. Like this was like, man, this, I didn't realize. It took me a while to, to, to catch on to this. And so, do y'all know what divination is? Switchcraft. Switchcraft. So witchcraft is directly tied to the spirit of the python. The python constricts you and it chokes you to death. It doesn't fill you with a bunch of venom. You know, it's a slow constricting that takes away your life force. And the purpose of it in this particular passage shows that the, the enemy was trying to hinder them from getting into the place of prayer. And for me, in my dream, I was not dealing with this python. I was watching it but I wasn't killing it. And in the process of not killing it, it grew. And as it grew and grew and grew, I became fond of it. I'll be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. You know what I wanted to do this week instead of praying? I want to play video games. I want to watch a movie. just want to chill out, relax. just didn't have the energy. You know what I mean? didn't have the vision passion it wasn't there that's what i wanted to do and i was wrestling inside of me because i knew what i should be doing but had nothing in me to cause me to will it and i'm not used to that and so it was kind of scary and i realized now that i've had this dream that that was an enemy it was a spirit of witchcraft if you're not witchcraft is a real thing first of all if you're if you're if you're a guest here i can explain this to you a little bit but witchcraft is demonic power it's mentioned numerous times in the scriptures the god actually commanded the children of israel that they weren't to practice it it was an abomination to the lord um it was actually um taught to men if you read the book of enoch you know that it was taught to men by fallen angels the the, the angels that came down in genesis 6 they actually taught men witchcraft and it's not something that god it's an illegal access but there are people who practice real witchcraft and it and it can affect you now i'm gonna tell you a story real quick when i in 1990 probably 97 90 
I think it was 97. I was a youth pastor at Morningstar Charlotte. And they, the way we were set up, we had services in one room, and then we had youth group in across the street in another building. So I had no idea what was going on in the main service. But in the main service, um, one of the, the pastors got up and said, the Lord gave me a word. He showed me that witchcraft were hitting people, and it was affecting your right eye. Your right eye. I didn't hear any of this. I'm over leading the youth group. And all of a sudden, my right eye swells up out of the blue while I'm up there talking. And I can't see out of my right eye. Couldn't see out of it. One of the guys that had come over there said, oh my gosh, he said, I just heard so-and-so give this word. You need to go over there and get prayer. And so, of course, I turned the group over to to someone else and I took off across the parking lot. Because I, all of a sudden, my right eye got shut down. And I went over there, and they prayed for me, and its swelling started to decrease. But it wasn't an instant thing. But by the time I woke up the next day, it was gone. But they broke witchcraft off of me. Now, see, that told me that this is real. Witchcraft is real. But it also tells me something else. What does it affect? Your vision. Your faith eye is your, your right eye is your faith eye. It's how you see things through faith. It's a symbolic symbolism. That's all this is. God trying to give us symbolism to show us stuff. And when you get hit with witchcraft, your vision will get affected. And when your vision gets affected, it will cause you to want to just go to sleep. Without a vision, the people perish. And so what I have been experienced this week, and I'm just curious, how many people have experienced that this week? Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Thank you. God, thank you. Misery loves company. <laughs> uh, it's nice to know you're not the only body going through something. But the Lord, you know how the Lord often deals with the enemy? He exposes them. Once we see what's going on, we can deal with it. And so what I want to say to you, if you are beginning to lose that passion and that hunger and it's just coming over you, that is probably a, a result of witchcraft. Now, it, it may not always be. Sometimes it's us just not, um, sometimes you, if you feed your flesh more than you feed your spirit, you're going to fall into that, Okay. If you're always, if you're not getting in the word, if you're not trying to pray, if you're not seeking God, if you're not getting around other believers who are passionate and on fire, you may tend to have that naturally. But if you're doing all those things and all of a sudden you're just like, oh my gosh, I just don't have any passion, good chance that's a demonic attack. And so the first thing to do is to realize that and to cry out to Papa. My favorite, one of my favorite Psalms it's the shortest psalm in the scripture. Or it's the shortest verse. You know what it says? Help, Lord. <laughs> that is a powerful prayer. When you've done it, sometimes that's all we can do. Lord, help me. I am. I need help. And that's what I've been crying out. Lord, fill me with hunger. Fill me with passion. I think Vic was hitting on some of this and Miriam when they were sharing during worship. And we have got to overcome these things that are attacking us because right now, our whole church, we have been going after prayer like we've never gone before. The Lord has been speaking the, imperative, the, the importance and how imperative it is that we 
began to knock on the door of heaven and that we give the Lord no rest until he establishes what he's been speaking in the earth. And that's scripture. We're supposed to do that. Knock on that door. But if you lose your passion to be with him and to pray and to that intimacy and that desire to do that, then, then obviously you're not going to see any of that come forward. And so I think the enemy's really trying to um, assault us in that place as we're trying to get into the place of prayer as a church. I believe that's one of the strategies that the enemy's going to use to try to get us to um, not get there. And so my prayer for us today is the same prayer I prayed in 1994. And I just want to close with this prayer. And if this is you, stand up, because I feel like the Lord, he honors that. When we just say, Lord, man, I'm struggling with this. I need help. So if this is you, stand up. I'm standing, because this has been my week. Lord, you are worthy of passion. Lord, if you walked in this room right now and we saw you, there would be a passion in our heart because we're seeing you as you are. And Lord, the fact that we're not passionate at times is a telltale that we're not seeing you. And Lord, we're asking for grace this morning to be a passionate people, that our love for you would burn bright, that we would be consumed with passionate love for the Son of God and for our Father that loved us so much that he sent his only begotten Son. This is not something to be lukewarm about, Lord. God loves us so much that he allowed his son to suffer that we might be one with you because our sins are washed away because of what you did, Jesus. And we want to be passionate for you. You deserve it, but Lord, we're also human and we're weak. And we are in, 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 the, in battles and, and we're fighting things that sometimes we don't even know what's going on. We don't see them, but we're experiencing supernatural battles sometimes, Lord, and we need help. And so, Lord, I'm asking you for help today that you, by your Holy Spirit that you would put in all of our hearts a passionate love for you, a hunger for you that desires you above all else, above our TV shows, above our, even our relationships, Lord, anything, Lord God, that is, we're more passionate about than you is an idol. And we don't want idols, Lord. We have them, but we don't want them. Get rid of them in our lives. We're inviting you, Holy Spirit, to do a work in our heart that idolatry is thrown down and there is nothing that is more important than you. And Lord, right now, we bind that spirit of witchcraft, that spirit of, of, of python, Lord, that we bind that spirit, we break its grip off your people. Lord, all over this city, Lord, there's peop- your people in all the churches across this city. We break that lukewarm spirit off right now in Jesus' name. And we ask for you to raise up a mighty prayer movement, Lord God, in this place, in this church, in this city. Raise up a people who are passionate about being with you. That when you knock on their door, they get up quickly out of their bed to be with you, Lord. Let that be our desire, Lord. You, above all else, and a desire to commune with you and to pray and to seek your face and to find you and spend time with you. So, Father, we bind that witchcraft now in Jesus' name, and we're asking for grace this week to love you the way you deserve to be loved. Lord, you deserve to be loved passionately, and we want to give you the reward of your sacrifice, but we can't do it without you, Lord. 
I can't muster up that kind of love for you. That has to be a gift of the Spirit. That has to be a fruit of the Spirit. Release that, Lord, to us today in Jesus' name. Let us leave here, Lord, passionate for you. Lord, let your passion burn in our hearts.